0: Church, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, specifically verses 6 and 7, as we continue in this Advent series this morning. One of the frequently asked questions that I get as a pastor for really the entirety of my ministry is a question of titles. What shall we call you? What do you want to be called? And the first two churches that I served, I followed uh, individuals, Brother Danny and Brother Roy. And so it was pretty easy. I came in, and uh, the church was a custom. I was Brother David. I came to the next church that I served in Tupelo for eight years, and my predecessor was Dr. Barnes. I was in the midst of uh, writing my dissertation. I was in the Ph.D. process where you're ABD, all but dissertation. So I asked at that time, sort of a pivot, and I said, well, hey, how about uh, I'm your pastor, Pastor David. To all the children and to all the uh, teenagers, Pastor David, and if, you're, if you are an adult, David's just fine. Now, it was sort of confusing to the church because about a year later, I, I finished the dissertation, I defended the dissertation, and I came back. And there was a, a little bit of, uh, of angst in the midst of, I mean, what do we call this guy? Is it Brother David? Is it Pastor David? Is it Dr. David? Is it Reverend David? Is it His, Your Highness? I mean, what are we supposed to call you here? I mean, what, there's all these kind of titles here, and so, Again, I was like, hey, hey, nothing's changed. Pastor David, if you're an adult, David's just fine. Kids and teenagers, Pastor David's my preference. It came to sort of a head in an offertory prayer where one of our deacons was praying. And he said, God, thank you for reverend, pastor, brother, Dr. David. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the reaction of the congregation right in the midst of prayer. Just, I mean, laughter. And so, hey, titles matter. I mean, what we call one another, I mean, they, they matter. They, they can show roles. They can show responsibilities, right? i tell you this, uh, you know, many of you will call me Pastor David. Many of you will call me David. There's no doubt about that. But I tell you what, no one else will call me other than three people in my family. And that, that's really my most cherished title that three boys call me, which is dad, father. I mean, it's a title that that no one else in this world calls me. No no one except for Hayden, Luke, and Jonathan look at me. And they don't don't say Pastor David. They don't say Reverend David. They don't say doctor anything. It's it's dad. It's father. It's, It's a title of role. It's a title of responsibility. It's a cherished title. It's a title I've thought a lot about this week as I opened up God's Word and was thinking about the four titles that Isaiah gives 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus. I mean, the Assyrian Empire is, is sneaking up, encroaching upon Judah, sneering threats at them. The, the citizens of Jerusalem, they can, they can literally look over the walls and they can see sudden death before them. They can see exile in their future. It is a dark time in God's people's narrative and history. And Isaiah says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you light. I'm going to give you hope. And the hope will come 700 years from now when the light comes from eternity and enters this earth. And you're going to address him with four titles. Titles that we read about here in Isaiah chapter 9. Read along with me in your copy of God's word. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. We talked about that title two weeks ago. Mighty God last week, everlasting Father this week, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God has spoken 700 years before the coming of Jesus. There is to be hope that that the people of God are to hear in the the promise of Jesus who has come. Now we look back 2,000 years ago, and we can look back from from a different vantage point of of Isaiah, and we can see that light has come. And each of these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, they tell us about who He was, who He is, and who He always will be. I think the Everlasting Father title is a title that can be rather confusing for Christians. As a Christian, we, we worship one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. They're one, but yet three. And here we have Jesus, the, the Son of God, who is born to Mary, who receives the title Everlasting Father. It can be rather confusing. Some of you are old enough to remember in the 80s, there was this sort of the genre of movies where the father and the son would trade spaces and places for, for a week or a day. And, and there were several of those movies, and we can get the wrong idea that the father and the son are, are trading places. But that's not the case. The Father is always the Father and will always be the Father. The Son is always the Son, will always be the Son. The Spirit is always the Spirit and will always be the Spirit. One God, three persons. I mean, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he he so clearly referenced uh, his Father and the relationship that he had as the Son. I mean, you see it on the screen here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, again, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so here Isaiah, 700 years before the coming of the Son of God, born of a virgin Mary, says, call him everlasting father. What? What are we talking about here? Here, here we, we are coming upon the precipice where language fails us. Uh, St. Augustine, in what really is the first autobiography ever written, his confessions, he, he talks often about how, how our language comes to a place where it can go no further. And when we talk of the one God in three persons, we're coming upon something that is indescribable. But we get hints of what this title means. It means that everything that the Father has from eternity, the Son shares. Every attribute of God, Father, Son, and Spirit are equally shared in the Godhead. And so that everlasting nature of God, the Father has it, the Son has it, and the Spirit has it. The fatherly nature of God, the Father has it, the Son has it, and the Spirit has it. One in three. One God, three persons. But we bask and, and we sort of ponder what is indescribable as we, as we look into the beauty and the mystery of the Trinity and we're reminded of, of two profound truths that I want you to hold on to this Advent season. And the first is just the everlasting nature of the Son of God. I, w- I want you to hold on to the truth of the everlasting nature of the Son of God. One of the first, I would describe it, spiritually curious questions that your child might ask you, that that a grandson might ask you. Maybe you're picking up a a five-year-old or six-year-old and you're bringing them home from school and they're they're pondering the Bible. You're reading the Bible to them. You're you're taking them. They're active in a life group and they've got wonderful people in children's ministry that are investing in them and preschool ministry investing in them. And they come to this place where they begin to ponder their their finitude. They're not going to say it that way, but they're they're pondering time issues. And they'll ask you, when... When was God born? Or or they'll look up at you and you'll see their eyes in the river near and they'll say, "What, What was before God? I mean, what they're pondering in this moment here is the relationship that God has to time that is very different, completely different than the relationship we have with time. Everything about how we relate to time is bound by clocks and it's bound by calendars, it's bound by dates. This last uh, month, this month of December, we, we've got a lot of calendar events in the Eldridge household. We have two birthdays. We have one anniversary. There's a lot that we celebrate. We can, we can look back and say, 22 years ago, David and Danielle were not married, and now we are, and we thank God for that time. We can look back and say our oldest son was not here 16 years ago. Our youngest son was not here 10 years ago. There was a before and there was an after. There was a birth date. Many of you will, will have a sort of a holy pilgrimage around the holidays. And maybe it is to a son or to a daughter's. Maybe it's to a father or to a mother's. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. You will, you will get in the vehicle and you'll travel to a cemetery. You, know, you get on your knees and you'll clear off the pine straw that is on that gravestone. Put some flowers there. Maybe you as a family will have a word of prayer as you remember that indelible imprint of the person who lived here on this earth and who you love so dearly and you'll, you'll stare at those dates. Dates that remind you of a start and a finish to this earthly life. Dates that remind you that that person that you love is not a person that is everlasting in contrast to a God who is eternal, a God who is everlasting. We are time-bound. We're constricted and we're constrained by calendars, but, but our God is not. He is wholly different than us. And we're not just talking about the Father who is, who is all by himself in eternity. And you know something? He got a little bit lonely, so there was a son and then there was a spirit. No, what we're saying is from eternity past, there's been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this beautiful dance of love. And out of the overflow of that eternal triune God and the love, there is everything that is comes to being out of His loving choice. And who is there at creation? Well, we read it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, there was not anything made that was made. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are there in eternity past, and they create, they exist in communion with one another. People ask this question, what was Jesus up to before He was born of the Virgin of Mary. I mean, he was in this holy communion with the Father and the Spirit. He was there present in creation. Paul peers back or peels back the the curtains of eternity and he he gives us this beautiful glimpse in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image, talking about Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there present in creation. Jesus the Son is there holding things together in the midst of creation. The Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, eternal, everlasting, and this is good news. It's not not good news just out of our theological curiosity. It's not, it's not good news, first and foremost, just to bask, well, that's God, and we're different than that. He is timeless, and we're time-bound. Yes, that's true, but I want you to feel the, the practical weight of what I am saying. I am saying that anything that you experience, this side of heaven, anything that you experience that is a difficulty and a tragedy, anything that you go through, God the Son, the Spirit, the Father were before it, over it, outlive it, and will outlast it. This is really good news. It is really good news for us to bask in the eternality of God. Do you know that God is eternal? Can I tell you what isn't eternal? Evil. Evil's not eternal. Evil's got a shelf life. Can I tell you that God is eternal, but but can I tell you who isn't eternal? Satan. His days are numbered. He's not eternal. Can Can I tell you that God is eternal, but you know what's not eternal? Cancer. That's not eternal. Can I tell you that God is eternal, but you know what isn't eternal? Sin. That's not eternal. Can I tell you that God is eternal, but you know what isn't eternal? COVID isn't eternal. Can I tell you that God is eternal, but you know what isn't eternal? The tornadoes that strike in, in the dark of the night, they will not go with us into eternity. Can I tell you that God is eternal, but you know what isn't eternal? Your tears. Are not eternal. Your pains are not eternal. Disaster is not eternal. Can I tell you what isn't eternal? Heartache, it's not eternal. Betrayal isn't eternal. Tragedy isn't eternal. Abuse isn't eternal. Neglect isn't eternal. Abandonment isn't eternal. Disappointment isn't eternal. There is only one who is eternal, and that is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is good news. Amen? It's good news. It's good news to bask in the eternality of God. And while there's so much that might hit you here on earth, be reminded it has no power in where you're headed, child of God, that He is eternal and these things are not. Notice with me the everlasting nature of the Son of God. But I also want us to just stop and just to think about the adopting love of our everlasting Father. The only way, the only way that you have a connection to the Father is the profound purpose of Christmas. The very profound purpose of Advent. That the coming of Jesus gives us access to a relationship with the Father through the death and the resurrection of His Son. The only way that you know God the Father, don't miss this, is that He loved you so much that he would send his son. And his son is the payment for your adoption into his family. And it is a really big family. Jesus says it so clearly when he's walking here on the earth. He, he ponders and, and helps people understand the very purpose of why he's here. And we read in John chapter 14, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Guess what? No one comes to the Father except through me. The writer of Hebrews, it talks about how how you have access to and you have intimacy with God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And guess what? You don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. None of us have the ability to do that in our own strength. But praise God, we have one, brothers. Since we have the confidence, Hebrews chapter 10, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh the purpose of Advent is to remind you that He has come so, so that we can enter into a relationship with the Holy God and we can have intimacy with and access to the Father for eternity to come. You can't do that in your own strength. But praise God, we don't have to. The payment has been paid, and, and there's, some, there's some really good Good news about that, but one of the, one of the things that we celebrate is, is that the Father has adopted us into a family, and it is a really, really big family. It is a family that, that spans continents, and it is, a, it is a family that spans time and age. One of the things I, I just was reminded of just a couple of weeks ago, I went to Las Vegas to speak at one of our church members' company's retreat. And so I came in uh, Friday night at 6 o'clock. I spoke at 8 and flew back out literally at 10 o'clock. I was there for 16 hours. Um, I spent a good bit of time with Uber drivers. When I was uh, going back from the conference center to the uh, airport to fly out, the Uber driver asked me, he said, what brings you to Vegas? And I'm sure he hears a lot of things. But, you know, I said, well, I'm a pastor and uh, I was speaking to one of our church members' companies here, and they had a retreat, and he perked up immediately. He said, oh, you're a pastor. He's like, I'm a follower of Jesus also. And he said, I'm also in the ministry too. And I said, "Wow, hey, tell me about this here. He said, well, listen, I grew up in Ethiopia. My mom and dad loved Jesus. Went to church. I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I've been in the ministry of gospel music for decades and I said, wow, that, that's amazing. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can listen to me on Spotify. So I'm there in the back of his vehicle. I'm I'm uh, looking him up on Spotify. And I hear in Alabama gospel music. I think like the Gaithers and the Blackwood Brothers, all that kind of. Needless to say, that's not gospel music in Ethiopia. So, <laughs> The uh, gospel music in Ethiopia has got a lot of 80 synthesizers kicking in it. So it's just, a, it's a little bit different right there. But he just went on and on and we had the best conversation. It was just 25 minutes from where I was to the airport. We got there and he said, pastor, I want to pray for you. And I said, well, i want to pray for you. And so we had only been with each other for 20 or 25 minutes, but it was just this wonderful conversation. And I was getting on the airplane and I thought, man, we just picked up that conversation. And, and it was just this reminder to me, he grew up 8,000 miles from where I grew up. But we had this instant connection. It's the connection far greater than biological blood. It's, it is the connection of, of Jesus's blood. And so I realized, oh yeah, I know why we were connected because that's my brother in Christ. It's one of the reasons that this church for 97 years has had a heartbeat for missions. One one of the ways that so many of you have gotten in vans and driven across this nation, driven across this state, got on planes and have flown to, to the uttermost parts of the earth is why one reason is to be shoulder to shoulder to brothers and sisters in Christ, seeing what God is doing in the bigger family. And you know this. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you know that, that you are a part of a family that, that is far greater than your, your family of birth physically. But you're a part of a supernatural family with an adopted father, God the Father. I've thought oftentimes about if I had one Sunday, if somebody came up to me and they... they, they, they shared with me, hey, David, you got one Sunday and you'll lose your voice forever. You have nothing else that you can say. Give it your best shot. Or David, I hate to inform you of this, but you got, you got one Sunday and the Lord's going to bring you home, say your goodbyes to your family, say your goodbyes to your friends, but you got one Sunday. I oftentimes think to myself, what, what would it be if I had one shot, one Sunday? And I'm about 100% sure that if I had one time before you, one last time, I would say, hey, I, I want you to know that you have an everlasting Father who is absolutely crazy about you. I want you to know that you have an everlasting Father whose grace, it never runs out, whose mercy never runs dry. I would want you to know that there is an everlasting Father who loves you, cares for you, desires an intimate relationship with you. I I would would 100% open us up to the Word of God and tell you not about, first and foremost, a prodigal son, who comes to his father and says, hey, listen, give me what is mine and disowns, dishonors his dad. I wouldn't first and foremost just, just have you walking around with the prodigal who goes off to the foreign land, the Vegas of his day and lives it up. And as long as he's got money flowing, and he's got a lot of friends around him, but the money runs out and the friends run away. I wouldn't first and foremost spend a whole lot of time talking about the prodigal and all of his doings. But I tell you this, I would spend a whole lot of time talking about how that prodigal comes to his senses. And there as he's in a pigsty, he, he realizes that, that he had it so good back at the home and, and he begins to make his way home. And this is where I would want you to see that there is a, a father who is waiting, looking for him in the distant horizon, waiting for him to come home. And I would want you to feel and hear this father who gets up off of the front porch and runs to greet his son. His son who is far off, who has come home. And I would want you to, to feel what it was like for that father to say to the son, welcome home. I would want you to feel what it was like for that father to say to that son who is far away, I am so glad you're here. Let's throw a party. Had one Sunday, I would want us just to bask the everlasting love of a father who is crazy about you, his sons and daughters. I would want you to know that no matter how far you've traveled, no matter how difficult you've made life through your sinful mistakes and decisions, no matter how how far off the beaten path of of God's will you have gone, you can never travel so far away that you cannot come home. I, I would want you to know about that. I'm sure I'd be reminded just a few weeks ago, Danielle and I were able to go to the Cove in North Carolina. I've told you about this already. And I was just reminded as I was there, the Cove is where Billy Graham and his wife had this retreat center that they made and pastors and uh, lay people from across the world come there. And it's just a great retreat center right side of Asheville. And And as I was there, we were walking around and one of the stories, I just can't get out of my heart came to my head when I was walking around. I was in the dining room and somebody said, hey, do you know that's Billy Graham's daughter over there? I said, wow. And I was reminded of a story that I heard and an experience that maybe some of you saw because, because his daughters eulogized his dad and Ruth, the daughter stood up and she told a story about her dad that I just can't get out of my heart. It, it's a story of, of her dad when her marriage comes to a crashing end after 21 years. And Ruth stands up, eulogizing her father and she says how she comes to the end of her marriage and, and she realizes she has to start over so she takes the children and she moves away. She starts anew, she meets a widower recently who lost his wife. They knew better. But there's just something about the connection. And much to the chagrin of her family and her friends, who assured her, hey, listen, you need to slow down. You need to pump the brakes. She she just they, they came together and then they were married. And then she tells the story that 24 hours later, she she is realizing that she made a horrible mistake. And she flees the marriage out of fear. And where does she go in the midst of that? She has nowhere to go. She, in her mind, is absolutely humiliated. And she has all of this. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. People warned me not to do it. She has nowhere to go but to go back home to North Carolina. She tells the story. And she's driving back there to her father and her mother's home. And not just any father, not just any mother, but the greatest evangelist that's lived for the last hundred years. How is this going to reflect on his ministry? How is this going to reflect on the family name? And she's going up the winding roads back to her home. She says this. When I pulled into the driveway. My father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me. And he said... Welcome home. There was no shame. There was no condemnation. Just unconditional love. My father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that very day. My worst day. And I just happened to think that there's not one person sitting in any pew this morning that doesn't know what it's like to pave your own road. To pave your own road with sin. To pave your own road with regret. To pave your own road with despair. To pave your own road with disappointment. And to pave your own road with a lot of pain and and a lot of failure. But if I have one shot, I would tell you, no matter how far you travel down that road, if you, child of God, would turn to him in confession and repentance, he is there waiting for you with the mercy that never runs out. And when you confess your sins and, and you you turn to him, he, he welcomes you and he doesn't say, Hey, I told you so. If you would have only listened, For any person traveling any road who turns back to God, he has two words for you this morning, and these are the words, welcome home. Welcome home. Let us pray.